Shalom and welcome to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. This is a recording of Rabbi Adam Klickfeld's weekly Rashi study class. Hello to anyone who's listening via the Temple Beth Am podcast asynchronously. Uh, Happy New Year. First time I'm seeing many of you since, um, since the Sylvester holiday. And just a, cl- a quick explanation for why we're doing it like this. I was supposed to fly back to Los Angeles last night uh, and then obviously teach this class in person. I'm actually on the East Coast now. My father, unfortunately, is in the hospital and not doing well. So I'm in Connecticut for a few days uh, to be with my mother and my father. Uh, and we'll hopefully fly back to Los Angeles before Shabbat. Um, but uh, it had been a long time since we studied together and I wanted to not cancel that. Just a, a sweet way in which uh, the Jewish community sometimes takes care of one another. I'm at, currently at Yale New Haven Hospital, and I emailed uh, early this morning. I found an email address for the Jewish one of the Jewish chaplains at Yale New Haven. And I said, I'm, I'm a colleague visiting from Los Angeles. I have to teach a class at 1130 local time. Is there a quiet room in the hospital that I might be able to use? And this lovely chaplain said, why don't you use my office and I'll go do rounds. So I'm in the office of of a, of a colleague I never met before, uh, Rabbi, um, I'm now forgetting her name, something, <laughs> something Tenenbaum, I just met, met her briefly, uh, and I love it when colleagues go out of their way to support each other, so I'm grateful for that. Um, and it's nice to see you all, it's been quite a long time, I think that you had a bunch of sessions with uh, Leonard running the class, but I, one of them didn't work because the, the Zoom didn't work, and I apologize for that, but it's nice to be back with you, and I Look forward to being back with you in person next week. Um, I also don't have my books with me, so I'm going to be just using online resources. Um, so I won't I won't be able to. Um, well, pretty much everything can be uh, found on Safaria, but if there's uh, there's certain commentary that I sometimes refer to that on the page in front of me, I'm not going to have that right now. So uh, without further ado. Um, let's jump into it. I have uh, so the last time we met as a group. We were, we were in chapter six of Shmot, uh, about to do uh, verse 14, right? Uh, about to do this kind of mini genealogy that Rashi set up at the end of verse 13 um, before the, as a kind of an interlude, uh, an, an amuse-bouche, if you will, in between the story of Moshe and Aaron in front of Pharaoh, and then the continuation of the Exodus story. So if you look back to verse 13, just to um, just to remind us, because it's been a quite quite some time, God said to Moses and to Aaron, we spent a lot of time on this verse, God commanded them regarding Torah with respect to the children of Israel, and also with respect to Pharaoh, Melech Mitzrayim, the king of Egypt. And then we have to kind of fill in some of the context here. Something like God reinforced the fact that what's happening next is that he's going to send Moshe and Aaron uh, to bring the Israelites out from the land of Egypt. Uh, and on that verse, Rashi, um, was it that verse or a previous verse? Let me remind myself. Um, yeah, so it was on that verse that um, that Rashi said that um, uh, we're, we're going to be taking this little interlude to do a little bit of a uh, of an understanding as to where Moshe and Aaron come from if they're about to be sent back into the Israelites to bring them out of Egypt. Let's remind ourselves how they are connected, what their yichis is with respect to the people that they're about to be uh, trying to save, right? So that was Rashi on verse 13. And now we get to verse 14. Um, and for the next... I would say eight or nine verses, there's a lot of quiet verses where Rashi doesn't say anything because on the pure genealogy, particularly since we had some of this genealogy in the end of Parshat Vayichi, Rashi is rather quiet. Uh, Mostly he's going to pipe up when there's a question as to why we're even in this material whatsoever. Okay, so any questions before we jump into verse 14? You have us be in verse 16. We read the first few verses of of uh of the genealogy i don't think so and i still don't think that we did the rashi on verse 14 um but let let's let's start with verse 14 because it's been a while um anyway 
Okay. Um, let's see. Rebecca, do you want to read verse 14? Ela Rache? Ela Rache Veit Avotam. These are the heads of their. Oh, I'm sorry. Read the. Okay. Sorry. Ela Rache Veit Avotam. Bene Ruven, Bechor Yisrael, Hanoch Ufalo, Chetzron, Becharmi, Ela Mishpachot Ruven. Yeah, I remember that Hetzron for Hetzroni. I think Sue might have read it. That's true. I don't think, but I, I don't remember doing the Rashi on it, but maybe if so, then we'll do a little bit of Chazarah, which is not the worst thing in the world. Okay. Okay. So these are the heads of their, the houses of their fathers, the sons of Reuven, the firstborn of Israel, Hanoch and Palu, Chetzron and Harmi. These are the families of Reuven. Good. Um, if we wanted to be really grammatically precise, what do we think the am ending of Beit Avotam refers to? Who's the they? Who are the possibilities of Ela Rashe Beit Avotam? Of B'nai Yisrael. Right, so it could be B'nai Yisrael, um, in which case we're dealing with the immediate antecedent of um, the previous verse, Lahotziah B'nai Yisrael Meretz Yisrael, and the Torah is kind of reminding us, and by the way, uh, speaking of those very Israelites, here are, and I will add in, some of the heads of their ancestral houses, because if you peeked ahead, we're not doing the complete genealogy here that we did in the Parshat Vayechi, right? Who else could the Avotam be referring to? It's a little bit clunkier, but it's possible. Anyone? Jacob, isn't it? Um, Jacob is a singular, so if it was if it's really Jacob the person, it would be Beit Avot, um, Avotav, his his ancestors, right? And Jacob is the ancestor, so I'm not sure that the that, that their ancestors, their fathers' houses, would refer to Jacob. What other plural unit could this be referring to? The three fathers: Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Right. Well, again, the, those are the, they are the Avot. This is reference, reference to their Avot, their ancestors, right? It might be Moshe and Aaron, because that's the, that's the only other plural that we've dealt with uh, just recently, because if you look at verse 13, someone just came into the waiting room, going to verse 13, God spoke to Moses and Aaron and commanded them. So Moses and Aaron are the most recent them in the context. 14. Um, and it could be that the Beit Avotam is uh, the ancestral homes of Moshe and Aaron, where that breaks down is that what we're about to read are not only the direct ancestors of Moshe and Aaron, because they're, what we're reading is basically one quarter, we're going to get three tribes worth, one quarter of the immediate descendants of, th uh, well, of, of the tribes of Israel, right? So three of them are going to be mentioned. So it's unclear. The, the, it's most likely is the Avotam is B'nai Israel, um, but but what's weird about that is that it doesn't complete the genealogy and it doesn't say, you know, these are some of the houses, some of the heads of the ancestral houses. It suggests these are all of them. And um, where was it? Um, yeah, if you look here, I'll show, I'll show, I'll share my screen because not everyone has a brace sheet in front of them. So in Parshat Vayechi, this is very um, timely, given where we are in the Torah reading right now. We had a genealogy after Joseph and the brothers reunited, and the 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 not the tribes of Israel, but the, literally the B'nai Israel, the sons of Israel, ended up in Egypt. We got a list of who was there: Elish, Shmot, B'nai Israel, Habaim, Yisrael. These are the names of the children of Israel. Here, children of Israel doesn't refer to a tribe, but the actual people. Yaakov of Anab, Jacob and his sons, Bechor Yaakov Reuven, the firstborn of Yaakov is Reuven, Uvnei Reuven, this is going to be very similar to our verse, Chanoch Ufalu, Chetzron Becharmi. Reuven has Chanoch and Falu and Chetzron Becharmi. There in chapter 46, I'll just scroll through it quickly, you got Reuven and then Shimon and then Levi and then Yehuda and then Yisachar and Zvulun, et cetera, et cetera. With a, a few, a few um, uh, little in intermediary comments. In ours, Right, we're gonna get 
We're in verse 14. We're going to get Ruvain. We'll go through this slowly in a second. We're going to get Shimon. We're going to get Levi. We're going to get some of the children of Levi, but we're never going to get past that. And by the time we get to um, the end of Levi's children, all of a sudden you are going to be back in the story of um, uh, of the Exodus, which is going to start uh, right around here. So we're going back to our verse. The, Av- the Avotam is interesting because it's neither all of the um, children of Israel, nor does it make sense for it to only be referring to um, uh, to Moshe and Aaron because the ones listed are more than the ancestors of Aaron. Okay, I'll stop the share. Um, any other comments or questions on the verse itself before we jump into the Rashi? Hi. Hi, Rick. Yeah. Um... Well, to me, it seems they only go up to Levi. The text is just giving us a reinforcement of who Moses and Aaron's family is. It just goes up to Levi, and then they get into Gershon. uh, um, uh, Gershon? Is that Moses' Gershon? No, it's Levi's Gershon. Moses said Gershon with a mem, right? But um, it it just gets up to Levi, and then it goes... um, it, it, it just wants to get us to Amram, and, and uh, it it just seems to me it's that family. They're just getting right. up to the Levites. It's, right. So one way of understanding this is, like, I, I need to give you some information about the third of the children in the lineage. I'm going to start with number one, Ruvain. And when I get to the one I really want to get to, I'll stop there. I don't need to do all the others, right? Um, you know, the total. So. I think so. Great movie, right? But it almost as if it doesn't want to start the list except in the very beginning. Okay. Uh, anything else on the verse itself? Let's look at the Rashi. Rebecca? Okay. Ela Rashi Veit Avotam. Mitoch She Huzkak Layaches Shivto Shel Levi Ad Mosheva Vaaharon. Bishvil Moshe Aharon Hidchil Leyachasam Derech Toldotam Meruvain. Right. So before, as you're about to translate, you'll realize that um, that Rick Muller and Rashi are the same person because this is this is Rashi saying essentially what Rick said. Translate. Mm-hmm. Um, so mine says since 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 scripture was required to trace the descent of the tribe of Levi until Moshe Aharon. Because of Moshe Aharon, it began to trace um, the, the, their descent, the way of their uh, generations from Ruvain, the way of their birth from Ruvain. Right, so it's an interest. It's a, a slightly redundant here, right? That the Torah is feeling the need to associate to connect the tribe uh, of Levi up until Moses and Aaron, at least to make that string, and then Ad Moshe Aaron, Bishvil Moshe Aaron. Right? We're we're doing it up until Moses and Aaron, so that we have a better understanding or reminded of Moses and Aaron's connection to this whole people. Therefore, you know, we needed to get to C. We started with A, right? And we're, we're not going to go past C, but we, we're, we weren't going to begin with C. So we started with A, and A is a list that goes down to whatever the 12th letter of the alphabet is, a K or L. But we need to get to C, and we're starting with A. Okay, that's the shot answer Rashi gives. And now Rashi gives, you know, occasionally Rashi will say, you know, Zep Shuto Ulafi Midrash, right? This is the shot reading, and this is a, a Midrashic reading. This is another softer way of him saying that. He's told you what he thinks the verse means, but he basically brings a source. He quotes a source. A reminder, he's always quoting sources, or almost always, but now is where he's telling us where he saw something else in a different midrash. He wants us to know about it. Okay. Keep going. Uvasikta Rabati. Uvasikta Rabati Raiti. Lafi Kintaram. Yeah, Kintaram Yaakov Avinu. Lishlosha Shivatim Halalu Bishat Moto. Should I translate that part? Yeah. And in Pesikta uh, Rabati, I have seen 
since Jacob, our father, rebuked uh, these the three these three tribes. And the three meaning Ruvain, Shimon, and Levi. Yeah. At the time of his death, Hazar, Hakatuv, Vayichasam, Ken, Levadem, Levadam, Lamar, Shehashuvim, Hem. Um, scripture again uh, traces their descent uh, alone to tell that it's uh, that they're distinguished, that they're important. So Rashi is letting on that the that the midrash was sensitive, and maybe he is as well to. The, the answer that Rick gave and the Rashi himself first gave as being just not, not thick enough, not rich enough, right? Like it makes sense. Yeah, you have to get to the yeah, you have to get to C, so start with A, but I can imagine the un, the understated part of the midrash and Rashi saying, if you needed to get to Levi, just go to Levi. There really isn't a need to go to Rumvain or Shimon. Either you're listing all the sons and you're doing a full genealogy, or just do, do the genealogy that's significant. And the only thing that's significant here in the narrative is for the reader to be reminded that Moshe and Aaron have a direct line to one of the 12 sons, therefore one of the 12 tribes, and therefore they're, they're, they're involved relationally, right? So what other reason might there be for us to return to Ruvain and Levi, who are not at all part of the story, he reminds us that in Parshat by Echia, I'm going to bring up um, on the uh, screen, because not having you, all you have Brashi in front of you, and Parshat by Echia, when Yaakov gets to the end of his life, and we have kind of we studied this very slowly when we were studying Parshat by Echia now, I think, three or four years ago, um, and we've got uh, Yaakov blessing the, his sons, similar to how Moshe, who is going to bless the tribes in Bezot HaBracha, right? So Moshe is linked to Parshat Vayechi, even though Moshe is not yet born, because he's going to do something similar. And we discussed at length that not all of the blessings that Jacob gives his sons at the end of his life are blessings. <laughs> Some of them are finger-wagging. Some of them are, you know, I'm disappointed in you. Right. If, if this is Yaakov giving an ethical will, some of the ethical will is tisk tisk. Right. Let's remind ourselves. Chapter 49, the last, um, the, the penultimate chapter of Breshit. Jacob called his sons, Vayomer, and he said, Hey, Asfu, gather yourselves up. I got to talk to you. And uh, an inscrutable verse where he says, I'm going to tell you what's going to happen in the future. And there's a lot of Rashi that, that, that you know, he wasn't, you know, he, he originally wanted to, um, exposed to them, you know, the, the secrets of the Messianic era, but God got in the way because Yaakov knew that, but his children didn't deserve to. And then we get to verse 2, he kaptsu v'shimu b'nei Yaakov, gather up, listen up, you children of Yaakov, v'shimu Yisrael avichem, listen to Israel, your father, and now we begin the end of life blessings. It should be, Reuven, I love you. Reuven, you're my firstborn, and therefore I have such beautiful things to say about you. What do we get? Ruven bechoriata, Ruven, you're my firstborn. Kochiva reshit ono, reshit oni, kochiva reshit reshit oni. You're the, you're my strength and the and the and the the head of my power. Yeter seet v'yeter az. You've got some some hubris and you've got some force to you. This can be read in more than one way. Pachaz kamayim al totar. You're you're as un uncontrollable as as gurgling water you shouldn't do that anymore you got up on the bed of your father and an oblique reference and maybe not so such an oblique reference to a tiny little scene that we studied many many years ago where Ruvain seems to be in some way more involved in his father's bed and tent than he should be you defamed things you got up onto my couch Right? So most of Ruvain's blessing is a um, a rebuke. Shimon and Levi, the next two, your brothers, but the brothers are like your your brothers in crime. What what combines you together? Your violence. This is going to the story of Dina, where in order to um, defend Dina's honor, they take 
um, tremendous vengeance against the, against the Shechemites, and Yaakov is not happy about it. Now, we're not sure if Yaakov's not, Yaakov's not happy about it because of a moral concern or if that's an ex post facto anachronism. He's not. He's certainly not happy about it in context because it's putting him in a difficult situation with the Shechemites, right? He doesn't really tis tis them for for um, an ethical violation, but for not being able to control their violence, and that puts him in a hard situation with these local tribes. Besodam al-tavo nafshi, let my spirit not kind of hold secrets with them. I, I don't want to be in a, in a, in a, in a council with them. Kalam al let not my glory get intimate with them. Kivi apam harguish, in their ire, they killed a man, whoever tsonam ikushor. And they maimed a bull with, you know, w- basically willingly, based on what they wanted to. Arur arpam. In this bracha, we've got a curse. I curse their 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 fury. Ki az, because it's strong. The evratam ki kashata, and their anger, because it is so harsh. Achalkeim biakob. I'm going to disperse them, Shimon and Levi. Va'afitzeim biYisrael, and they're and they're not going to hold on to their their contiguity. Okay. So, um, going back to our verse. Um, or what Rashi's saying in our verse, uh, as Rebecca translated it, maybe the reason why Ruvain, Shimon, and Levi are mentioned now is not just because he had to get to Levi, he started with A, but there's something lingering as we're about to see the redemption of all the tribes of Israel, all the sons, all the descendants of the tribes of Israel. The last time we heard anything about Ruvain, Shimon, and Levi is their being rebuked by their dad. I'm 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 midrashing the midrash. Lest reader, you think that these tribes didn't have the merit to participate in the redemption of Israel. Lest you think that Moshe knows about the rebuke that Jacob gave them. Might say maybe I'm not going to pay attention to those tribes. Uh, may, lest you think that that just because Moshe is a descendant of Levi doesn't mean that he feels connected to all the Levites, given the fact that the Levites were given this uh, this curse by their father Kamash Malan. The text comes to teach us. All of the children of Israel are the children of Israel. They've been reunified in some way, and they're not going to get special treatment, certainly not special negative treatment. And so by, by mentioning the names of Reuven, Shimon, and Levi, I, the text, I'm personifying the text, restore them to the status from which they had slightly been dropped at the end of Yaakov's life, which again is the last time we've heard anything about them, except when we heard about the man Levi, as as Moshe is introduced into the story in the second chapter of Shemot. Okay, so that's Rashi's uh, bringing in Psikta Rabati after he told you what he thinks the plain meaning of the text is. Um, and let's see if there are any reactions. I see Stevie. Yeah, just to point out how the Psikta Rabati can undermine what you might take away from the from the Pshat answer that, right, it it could be it would be very easy and opportune if you wanted to to double down and say that you know you always have to treat the firstborn with respect and you know like that's uh there's like a, a pride of place um and this is a proof text for that and they're instead saying oh no no it's because the the firstborn is is actually not good right like it's actually a problem right that that you know you get uh a, as much as you learn from what the rabbis say, you also learn from what they refuse to say, right? There's nowhere in rabbinic literature where it says, just as God is vengeful, so too you should be vengeful, right? That, um, so so by sort of, it, you know, it still includes, he still says what the shot is, but it's like, oh, don't take that too far because there's also this midrash that goes in the exact opposite direction. Steve, are you saying that one way of reading Rashi and midrash itself is that by bringing these names back were highlighting the fact they were rebuked rather than overruling that rebuke? Well, I mean, it's, it is also part of the rabbinic impulse to say that like all the sins that the ancestors did are actually very minor sins. Right. Um, So no, I mean, it is, but, but I think that, right. If, if you just had the shot answer of right. Oh, you have to, whenever you give a genealogy, you have to start it, you know, with the firstborn, right? Like that, I think is a dangerous precedent and they don't want to make that a precedent. It's like that, that happens to be the case here, but that's not the way that you need to behave. I see. Okay. That, 
that the, the Midrash wants to give one more reason why this is exceptional, lest you think that you can never mention child three without having mentioned child one and two? Yeah. I see. Got it. Okay. Wonderful. Um, anyone else on this, uh, on the verse, on the Rashi, Rashi part one, Rashi part two, and what we think the thrust of that Psikta Rabati is? Going once, going twice. Okay. Barbara got kicked out of the Zoom. She's coming back in. All right. Uh, then let's go to verse uh, 15. Um, uh, Carol, do you want to read verse 15? Okay. Um, um, and the sons of Shimon are Yemuel and Yamin and Ohad and Yachin and Sohar and Shaul. Uh, the son of uh, the Can of a Canaanite woman. Um, these are the families of Shimon. Yeah, it's always interesting to me when I become uh, to be exposed to biblical and Torah names. How many of them live on as names that Jews are given today, and how many of them are not? Right. Uh, I'm sure you've come. You've you might have met an Israeli Ohad uh, or two. We, used to, we had an Ohad at Pressman a couple of years ago and Shaul, of course. Um, the other names, I've never met a Yimuel. I do know a Yamin, one of my closest friends, Mark, um, who is naming his son after a Benyamin. Uh, instead of just naming him Ben or Benyamin, he remembered that there was a character actually named Yamin. So he named his son Yamin. Um, some of these names stay on in the Jewish people. Some of them disappear. Um, What's interesting here, and the classic commentators have very little to say about it, is the Ben Haktanit really separates out Shaul from the others. So there's something going on here. Rashi's quiet about it. Um, and again, most of the commentaries in Mikok Dolot say nothing about it. You've got Yimuel, Yamin, Ohad, Yachin, and Sohar, seemingly in their own uh, categories. And then Shaul, who is the son of some Canaanite woman that apparently Shimon um, uh, was with, but no one seems to be that interested in this, even though it does, you know, it, it does say, you know, Zeomer Darshani. It does seem like it is worthy of a question. Uh, Joanna, your hand was up before. Still up? Yeah, just a, a, a quick comment like that came to me as you were wrapping up the last pasuk, which maybe also is an intro to the next one as my eyes glanced ahead and caught this. When we finally get up to... Um, Levi in the next verse, I hear in my head, I think it's in Bamidbar, where those two phrases come together. And I think that by having Beit Avotam first, and then sort of the backtrack to Reuven Shimon Levi, and then coming back to Letoldotam, in the next verse, it really calls out how out of place those first three are in a way that it wouldn't if we had that pairing together that we see later. Yeah, great, right. So you're absolutely right in, in the first couple of chapters of Bamidbar, where there's a much longer sense than we have here. There are several different ways of the Torah uses Hebrew words to discuss to their families' houses, by their birth order, things like that. Um, and uh, right, so it's only only um, Levi for some reason that gets letoldotam here. Um, so thank you for that, uh, Rick. Your hand was up. Yeah, hi. Um, so I'm aware that uh, we weren't supposed to marry Canaanite women. That was a bad thing. So here we have Shaul, who's the son of one. So that would mean that his father. Shimon married this Canaanite woman, right? Who we don't know her name. So they may not have married her. Yeah, okay. Maybe they didn't have a whole big ceremony, but um, I think it's interesting that we include it to show that 
yes, yeah, some of our people still married Canaanite women, even though Jacob uh, 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 or uh, Israel, uh, Israel sent Jacob away so he wouldn't, and then he was upset with Esau that he did, right? Is, that's, is that the way it went? So um, They were a source of bitter, bitter, bitter spirit to Jacob. To yeah. yeah, to him, but not so much to the rest of the family. <laughs> that uh, it was okay, um, or, or it was okay with Shimon to do that. Um, I never, I never thought about it before. But um, they're they're mixing with. I mean, it's a it's a good thing to. I don't know. I'm just I'm just saying that that Kananit that that's Shimon's uh, wife. We just don't know her name, right? There's no there's no midrash on who she was. We know, we know nothing about it. Uh, I'll share with you really some arguments from silence here. So this is Safaria on this verse, right? So uh, if you click on uh, the verse right up here, second, it tells you uh, all the places where there's classic commentary. It doesn't mean every single possible verse of you know, potential commentary, but, but most of the top 50 uh, rabbinic medieval commentary that you would study in a verse. So if you click on commentary six, right, there's six total comments on the whole verse um, and representing only three different um, commentators. One is Ibn Ezra. And you see Ibn Ezra has two comments on the verse. None of them has to do with the word Haknanit. You see all the way, all these people who are gray, right? It means that they don't say anything on this verse whatsoever. You have to go all the way down to JPS, which is a modern commentary, not a rabbinic one, and also is basically quoting Rashi on on, on the the word Shaul, but nothing having to do with the Kanid. No one on this page says anything about that. I find that odd because there's so many small little um, deviations from what you'd expect in the text that would send medieval commentators down pretty uh, elaborate rabbit holes, but nothing here. We don't know why. Might there be an obscure midrash that's not brought by the commentators that I'm not aware of? Sure, but it's not shouting out. Like sometimes you open up the Mikro of Delot and you can see that all of the medieval commentators were agitated about something. They're just not here. I see Rachel, I see Elon, I see Lena Rebecca. Go ahead, Rachel. Just quick reference. I'm assuming that all of Jacob's male offspring, all 12 of them, had multiple wives and probably several concubines. And what distinguishes this sentence is the designation that this particular son of Shimon was uh, had a Canaanite mother that among the wives and concubines was a Canaanite woman. And that I find that very, um, almost like what's distinctive about it is that he is mentioned among the sons, not that his mother wasn't Jewish. Um, and that, like my my chat comment was paternal descent. Um, that uh, again, just what I find notable is that he he's listed among the sons, and that among my guess is that there were large numbers of offspring whose names are not recorded that these are the adult offspring that at the time may have had their own, in the future, may have their own military divisions, um, but that Shimon had umpteen children and these are the ones that are named here. So you said a lot of interesting things. I see a lot of hands up. So all of a sudden we're now very interested in Sha'ul ben um, I'm I'm curious without being able to say anything of significance about it, your supposition that we're only meeting a portion of the offspring 
the supposition being that we're meeting the portion of the offspring that are significant or or I think what you were maybe suggesting the portion of the offspring that were born between Shimon and these siblings and their quote unquote Jewish spouses, right? When you write your tshuva for the law committee about uh, honoring patrilineal descent, you'll use this verse, a reminder of the anachronisms going on here, that if you go back early enough in Breshit, the notion of our ancestors having had a Jewish or Hebrew or Israelite spouse was incomprehensible because there weren't enough generations of said people to be married to, right? So, so you know, let, let's posit that Sarah, you know, um, is you know is along with Avraham on the journey, and she quote unquote you know converts. That's a halachic anachronism, and let's posit that that um, when Rebecca and Rachel are chosen for their virtues, that they come into the fold. Right? There's nothing that suggests that the many spouses that Jacob's children find are somehow descendants of people who had been you know learned at the conversion school that Abraham and Sarah set up. Right? I think we have to assume as you learn the mythical beginning of a people that it takes a couple of generations and a couple of generations might mean hundreds of years in actual elapsed time for there to be enough people um, to even know about the new wisdom of this monotheism to be descendants of people who live that way such that there isn't by definition um, uh, an intermarriage and there aren't uh, people who are uh, passing on their lineage through their father, right? So I presume if we kind of map modern halachas, halachic thinking onto this generation, which is a weird thing to do in general, I'm imagining that most, if not all, the children of the 12 tribes of Israel kept their Hebrew identity because of their father, not their mother, right? Like Ephraim and Menashe, right? Are we to believe that Joseph's wife converted, right? It's, it's, it's kind of an odd question. I think we believe that the, at the origin point of our people, that yes, having a father who was a descendant of Abraham was sufficient for you to be in. And at some point, Halakha took over and said, we're only going to attach this to, um, to, to the maternal descent. And by the way, it's a very interesting question for uh, modern Jews to be thinking about, as you know, that when the reform movement made the decision to honor patrilineal descent a generation and a half ago, that in some ways made a whole lot of sense when it comes to modern understandings of how to know where people origin, originate from and cause a lot of upheaval in the more traditional denominations because all of a sudden you're not sure if the child that your son or daughter falls in love with at college who goes to shul and is involved in Jewish life is or is not a halachic Jew based on our definitions. And it is indeed the case that the concerned movement every once in a while you know, thinks about this issue so far has not made any liberal move on it. So there's a lot to be said there. And I think it's always fascinating and a little bit unsatisfying to map our halachic language that emerged from rabbinic the, um, uh, interpretation of text onto the core texts about you know, the, the mythical beginnings of our people. Uh, Elon. So uh, a couple of things on, on that point. One, uh, this will now become one of my favorite verses as a supporter of patrilineality. I certainly will quote this frequently. Is it, is it possible that the reason that the commentators did not deal with this was that exact issue that they didn't, it was awkward for them to, because this is something that would seem obvious that you'd want to commentate on one way or the other, right? It's an, it's an, it's, it's interesting in that it's, it's, it's kind of stands out. And the lack of commentary to me suggests that they were uncomfortable with it and therefore avoided it. Yeah, maybe. Um, uh, what Stevie reminds us of that when we first hear about this um, this relationship back in Vayechi in chapter 46, verse 10, there are uh, many commentators, including by Rashi. Maybe the reason why it's not brought forward here is because they feel they've been there, done that, although that's not always the case. Sometimes when uh, a commentator has commentated on the first instance of something, they come back and they self-refer or they offer another layer. Um, or maybe uh, when it comes to um, determining the genealogy for the purposes of connecting these families to the upcoming redemption, 
the 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 notion of this Canaanite woman doesn't want to they don't they don't want to go back there. It's hard to know. It's always hard to make an argument from silence. But I do appreciate Stevie reminding us that the first time we learn of this in forty six ten, there are plenty of rabbinic commentaries on it. Leonard Rebecca. Um, this comment sounds kind of uh, stale at this point, but I just wanted to point out that in the JPS book, uh, there, there is a comment here on the Canaanite woman. And it says, this exceptional notice most likely reflects the disfavor with which intermarriage with Canaanites was viewed. The, what, ref, what reflects the disfavor? The, the fact that it's mentioned or the lack of commentary on, the, on this verse? No, the fact that it's mentioned that he was the son of a Canaanite woman. Like a dig as opposed to an inclusion. Right. But in it, other words, I was you were saying there were nobody commented on it, but even though it didn't make it into Safari, it is in JPS. Got it. Got it. Right. So right, you could read this as, you know, so Shimon had these children, Yemuel, Yamin, Ohad, Yachin, Sohar, and even and and even Shaul, who is the son of the Canaanite woman, belongs in this list, or and also Shaul ben Aknanit, right? Like uh, the tone of voice that you use when when reading into that verse imp- uh, impacts your you know what you're conveying in terms of of whether it's to include or to exclude. Barry. So continuing in that vein, um, we we have this lineage that ends in Pupu, and then we go to the Dorotam of Levi, which is the beginning of the establishment of the Aharonite. Uh, uh, leadership. Uh, so the, the, we have the Israelite is kind of put down a bit, and the Aharoni is put up by by this. What do you mean by the Aharoni? The sons of Levi. So we 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 have Moshe's lineage. We have Aharon's uh, lineage, uh, and but th- these are returned re- referred to as the the, the Dorotam. Whereas the lineage of Shimon and the Israelites it, it ends with uh, the son of a Canaanite, uh, it's it's kind of odd, but it, it's like uh, putting down the, the the Israelite to a level below what the uh, the, the, the the Levites are. Uh, so we have Moshe and Aharon, and we're going to have the, the priestly clan coming out of that. Mm-hmm. Okay, I think Good. they wrote that. I, I think I think they they wrote this. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Rick. Um, hi, so um, looking at through the trope uh, glasses that I have, um, you've got Yemuel, Yamin, Ohad, Viachin, Vitzuchar, they're in a unit, right? The Kadma leads into Mapach, Pashta, Munach, Sakeb, Katan. So that's a unit, but still, Vishaul, Ben Haknani, that has the Etnachta, which is especially in this sentence, it's kind of the high point. Um, so I don't think that they're putting down Shaul and the Kanit. I, I think the music, at least, is raising her up, that it's, um, it's, it's noteworthy that, that, she, that he was in the lineage and she, although they didn't give us her name, um, but um, I, I, I think it's a positive and, and not, a, not a dig. Yeah, I, the, the, the trap certainly suggests that um, whether or not it's a positive, it's almost matter of fact, right? It's, 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 it's the, the, the end, it's, it's a sort of an uninteresting end of the, of the phrase, which completes the first half of the verse. And there's nothing in the music that suggests that we're supposed to be paying any more attention to it than we normally do at a comma, right? Um, yeah. Okay, uh, let's go to verse 16. I think Carol was, was Carol reading? Sure. Okay. Um, and these are the names of the sons of Levi. I don't know how to translate of their generations. It's hard. So something like according to, I mean, the way Everett Fox translates it is to make is to connect the word Toldatam to the root, 
meaning to give birth to their begettings, he says, right? A told dote is usually colloquially translated as the, the story of or the legacy of, but it has to do with laledet, giving birth. These are the names of the children levy according to how, how they were born and brought into this world, something like that. Like in the order, yeah. So there's Gershon, uh, Kehat, and Merari, mm-hmm. and the years of the life of Levi are seven and 30 and 100 years. Right. The classic Torah's way of, of doing the, um, the kind of doing the decimals differently than we would or doing the, 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 the numbers differently than we do. So seven and 30 and 100 rather than 137. Okay. Um, just to point out, you might have some kind of a name familiarity with Gershon Kadma Ari different than the other ones you've met. And that's because in the book of Bamidbar, we learn about the specific sub roles that the Gershonites, the Kohatites, and the Merarites got as they were responsible for transporting the Mishkan through the desert. Remember that um, at some point, Levi is dropped from the classic 12 tribes of Israel um, because he's serving the He's serving the Jewish people and God in a different way by being in the Mishkan and the temple. And Yosef is split into two, Manasseh and Ephraim. And we learn in the in parts of Parshat Bereshit and Parshat Naso that his three sons and their descendants had different responsibilities for taking care of the Mishkan as it traveled through the desert. So if, you, if those names are familiar to you, that's why. Um, this may or may not be why Elon's raising his hand. Anything jump out at you about this verse, aside from the Tolotam, which Joanne already mentioned, as compared to the verses about Ruben and Shimon? Yeah, I mean, that one of the things I was going to talk about is why is there a mention of the length of, of Levy's life here when it was not mentioned about Ruben's life? Correct, right? That it, it, it's, it's, it's such an obvious difference that it's impossible not to forget about an answer for it, ask the question, right? So we've, we've, we've already answered the question in two ways as to why we're mentioning these three, only three, these three guys, right? And we can debate as to whether or not there are other children of these three guys who we're not learning about, but we take it face grant at face value. These are their, these are the children of note, but we say nothing about Ruben's lifespan, nothing about Shimon's lifespan. All of a sudden we know how many years Levi lived on the earth. Uh, Elon, you raised the question. Any, any thoughts without, before we look at Rashi, like what, what might be, if this is not just a, a scribal error oddity, what might be significant about knowing the full lifespan of Levi? I can't think of anything that would be interesting about it, unless it was a, un, unless it was unusually long. But that doesn't, uh, you know, in, in biblical times, 137 years doesn't seem to be particularly interesting. Agreed. Although it is interesting, I don't think this is why it's there that it's Levi who is the father of eventually the father of Moshe. You know, in our in our discussion of lifespans of the Jewish people, right? The whole notion of Amush Admeab Asrim Shana, right? That's an acronym for Admeab Asrim Shana, is related to the Moses, Moses 120 years. Is there something that since we're going to be tracking the whole lifespan of Moshe, we're, we're getting a sense of, of, of his genes, right? And, and his genes of longevity, but it's, it's not a great answer. Barry, and then we'll look at Rashi's answer. Uh, you're still muted, Barry. Uh, I, I have a footnote in, in here that I think we should do the Rashi first, and it extends the mathematics. So uh, let's do the Rashi, and then I'll read the footnote on the mathematics. Sounds good. Okay, we're going to read the Rashi. Carol's going to read it in a second. Um, an asterisk that I haven't had to give in a long time. Right, this is a Rashi class. We really read every single word of Rashi. The only Rashi's that I sometimes skip in my own learning and when I'm teaching are the are the Rashi's that have to do with math and only math, where there isn't um, a, a whole great reveal at the end of it. There's going to be a Rashi probably next week that we're probably just going to skim because it's getting into into interbiblical mathematics and it doesn't really provide something illuminating at the end of it. This one we're going to do, even though it involves uh, some math, because there's there's something interesting that it 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 designates. But there were more there were Rashi's in the Book of Rashi that sometimes you just skipped over because it's it's really just you know um, abacus and bead counting and not really adding to our sense of what the Torah is all about. Okay, so let's read uh, Rashi on 
this verse, and let's go back to um, Carol. Um, so, uh, translate that and okay. I think that nimnu. Nimnu, okay. Um, and the uh, the the years of Levi's life, etc. Uh, why why do we count the years of for Levi? Right. Uh, and, uh, let, just to be grammatically precise, the nimnu is not why we count, but it's an it's in the nifal. Why are they counted? Are they counted? Okay. Why are the years of Levi uh, counted? Nimnu. Go ahead. Okay. Lehodia kama yame ha shibud to um uh to inform us or for uh, let us know how many were the the days of of of, of the slavery or bondage okay shakolzman sheachad min hashvatim kayam lo haya shibud um since all uh, for all, all, for I guess so long, so or as much as um, one of the tribes was uh, still alive, living, there mm-hmm. was not, uh, there was not slavery. Right. So Rashi is quoting a midrash from Shmot Rabbah that suggests that none of the actual enslavement of the Israelites in Egypt happened when any of the actual sons of Yaakov were alive. What is the Midrash based it on? Rashi continues to use Shunemar. Shunemar uh, in Shemot Alfav, Vayamat Yosef Vechol Echav. So as it says in Shemot Alf 6, um, uh, Joseph... Joseph died and all of his brothers. Right. Um, and afterwards, afterwards in Shemot uh, 8, Vayakam Melechadash, a new king arose. The Levi Perich Yamim Al Kulam. And Levi had a length of days, outlived all, all of them. Okay. All so of them. If, if we put all this together, Rashi quotes. Shmot Rabbah that says we have a received tradition that that enslavement itself did not begin until not a single son of Yaakov remained on earth. How do we learn that? Because it says first that Yosef and all his brothers died, and only after that do we learn about the king who arose, who knew not Yosef, who decided that the Israelites were getting too numerous and decided to enslave them. And Rashi says through this midrash that the reason why we're learning of Levi's length of days here, it, it's a cousin to what Elon was suggesting. Not that it's that much longer than other people were living at that time, but he is the longest living or the longest lasting of Yaakov's sons. And by way of showing that he lived 137 years, it's it's telling us that the, and I, and why this is significant, I don't know. Like, I, I, I don't have a good Rashi on the Rashi, but this verse is telling us that however long you think enslavement took place in Egypt, and there are lots of different competing and conflicting numerologies about how long enslavement lasted, it didn't begin until many more years after you thought it might have, because after all, Levi lived 137 years. We could do the math as to how long we, how old we think he was when uh, he moved down to um, to Egypt, but it wasn't until after he took his last breath that either immediately after that or soon after that, a king arose over Egypt who didn't know Joseph and enslavement only began at that point. Anyone want to proffer a Rashi on the Rashi? Like why? Like that might be a significant, that might be like, like a somewhat satisfying explanation as to why we're hearing Levi's length and not others. He was the longest living son of Yaakov, but is there a so what that anyone can come up with, Barry? Well, let me just read this footnote. This is it's, it's interesting. You may want to have a pencil and paper to uh, add these numbers up. Um, where was it here? Um, so Levi was 43 years old when Yaakov and his family came to Egypt. Uh, our verse tells us that he lived 137 years. Consequently, uh, he was in Egypt 94 years. So 137 minus 43 uh, equals 94, uh, during which time there was no enslavement. The total surgeon of B'nai Israel in Egypt was 210 years, uh, uh, see Rashi. Um, uh, so subtract 94 years 
uh, of no enslavement from 210. And you conclude that the uh, enslavement lasted 100, uh, 116 years. Right. So, so that's, that's, what this is, that's what this is about. So some people use this verse to show how, um, how, sh how much shorter the actual enslavement was than people might have thought. And some people read the verse to be the opposite, that, that it depends on what's a fixed and what's the variable. If what's fixed is how many years the Hebrews were in Egypt, then if the variable of how much how long it was until the enslavement began is longer, it means the amount of time that they were enslaved was shorter. Some read it otherwise, that what's fixed is how many years they were enslaved, not just how many years they were there. And this is to show you, and the enslavement didn't even begin for about 100 years until after they got there, which shows you just how long into the narrative from Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the Israelites were entombed in Egypt before they even uh, met a Moses and Aaron who had a chance of bringing them out, right? Um, so, um, it, it, you know, one, one can read the same data point here in, in, in emphasizing really two different ways of understanding this verse. Um, good. Anything else on this verse? This is the only thing that Rashi says on verse uh, 16. Okay. Um, let's read verse, let's end class by reading verses 17 and 18. You got quickly. Joel. Oh, sorry, Joel. Go ahead. Didn't see him. Just two pedestrian comments. The first is alternative to, to Rashi is that the reason this is the, his lifetime is mentioned is just because it's it's like a uh, an outline. I mean, you're reading through an outline and you're going through uh, Ruven, Shivon, you know, the, the bullet points. And then when you get to Levi, this is the one we want to talk about. Now let's do it in detail. And then we, we open up that section. Hmm. So that's one pedestrian comment. The other pedestrian comment is you mentioned that we're not sure if these were all his sons um, for Reuven and Shimon. And I was going to say earlier, but I didn't think it was necessary that the, it repeats Ele Roche Beit Avotam, and then it says Ele Mishpatam Reuven, or Ele, both times. Ele and I was going to ask the question, why does it need to be repeated? And my answer was to say, and this was not only is this all the, is it, are these are the sons, but these are all the sons. And that's the, mm -hmm. you know, that's sort of like the end mark. Right. Interesting. So um, you said a couple of interesting things there. First of all, you're noticing that the that there's a a reference to like, like there's like a meta reference to the census itself, this mini census itself in verse 14 regarding Ruvain, verse 16 regarding um Levi, but not in verse 15 regarding Shimon, and you're suggesting that those are bookending. So these are the names of the people that we're going to mention that are significant. And by the time we get to the third one, I'm already at the end of that mini list. And so I'm reminding you that these are the ones I'm talking about. And that explains maybe why Shimon doesn't get that treatment. Um, what, what treatment doesn't Shimon get? He doesn't get Ela Shmote. Right? So um, 14, Ela Rashei Vetavatam B'nei Ruvain Bechor. These are the heads of the ancestral tribes starting with Ruvain. 16, Ela Shmot B'nei Levila Tolotam. These are the names of the children of, of Levi to their, to their birth order. And all we get in Shimon is just here are the names, right? So there's some, there's like a, a small introductory comment regarding Ruvain and Levi. What I thought you were saying is those introductory comments, words really bookend the fact that this is a, 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 a coherent, intact lineage that has a beginning and an end. Um, and those words designate that beginning and end. And since Shimon's in the middle, he doesn't need those extra words. Is that not what you were saying? But he does, he does get Ele Mishpachot at the end. Oh, that's true. Right. Okay, so then say again what your comment was. My, my, first, my first comment was that since we're, since we're interested most in Levi, the first two are just summary. And then when we uh -huh. get to Levi, then we do it in detail. Uh-huh. And because and the it includes the grandsons and includes the lifespan and all that. I see. Got it. Right. That is true that that however we think about why only the first three are mentioned, either Elon's initial idea that you're getting to see, so you start with A, or the uh, uh, the Midrashic one that Rashi brings that is to resurrect or, re or redeem the reputations of the first three. It is true that once we get to the one about whom Moshe and Aaron are connected or to whom they're connected, we're going to go into greater detail. And maybe one of those details is how long Levi lived. 
And we'll le learn more about that when we get to next week. Barry, last comment. Um, yeah, I'm looking at the, the, these lengths, uh, how long they were in Egypt before enslavement and how long they were un with enslavement and, and uh, looking at the length of a generation, meaning uh, uh, there's a, they, they came down to Egypt and their, their, their new generation is born and raised in um, a, a sense of freedom and uh, growth and um, uh, they're living in the, the rich part of Egypt and uh, everything is good for them. Good, good, good. And, uh, and enslavement is, uh, uh, is long enough for uh, one and a half generations uh, to come uh, in which they have forgotten basically what it was to uh, be in a good, in a good place. They're, 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 they're very different uh, peoples. Yeah, good. Let's end the year. Uh, I have every expectation to be back with you in person next Wednesday. And in fact, I'll be back in LA by the Shabbat, but I'm glad we got to have this learning even from a distance. And I wish you all uh, again a happy new year, a healthy week and an early Shabbat Shalom. And I'll see you all soon. Bye everyone. You have been listening to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. If you enjoy these podcasts, we invite you to write a review on the Apple Podcast site or wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about Temple Beth Am Los Angeles, go to tbala.org.